are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to this hump day, January 20th edition of Locked On Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, and today on the show, we're going to revisit the 2020 Miami Dolphins rookie class now that we have had the liberty of seeing the entire 2020 season play out, how did the Dolphins' decision-making process play out for them in year one of what is a multi-year process of evaluating these rookie players? What contributions did they receive? Are there any mulligans that maybe we would like to get back? All of that and more today on the show. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, Managing Editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com, Director of Scouting of the DraftNetwork.com, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes exactly like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. Before we get into the rookie class, which was kind of spurred on uh, by some discussion and debate centered around and surrounding uh, the Miami Dolphins offense, specifically in 2020, and, and what Brian Flores' work is in, in building an offensive effort here with the Dolphins, uh, we do have uh, one major development this morning uh, that we're still waiting on some clarity on as far as how much it impacts the Miami Dolphins. But the Senior Bowl has this nifty little habit right now of adding one Alabama Crimson Tide player to the event per day this week. Monday, Devonta Smith was revealed he's going to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, He will not be participating in practice throughout the course of the week on account of a thumb injury. But nevertheless, Devonta Smith will be at the Senior Bowl. He will be on the Dolphins roster for that week of practice and interviews and install and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yesterday... Mac Jones, the quarterback, was added to the Senior Bowl group. He is going to be on the Carolina side of the fence. And this morning, three hours ago, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, tweet, jumping into the pre-draft process, hashtag Najee's draft starts in Mobile with a gif of Najee Harris hurtling some poor soul from the Auburn Tigers. Najee Harris appears to be the next addition. I'd expect it comes out right around the time the podcast drops today around noon. Najee Harris to the Senior Bowl. What team he's on. If he's on the Dolphins, it's a big win. Uh, kind of hard to get a feel either way because uh, Carolina got all the Alabama offensive linemen. They got Mac Jones. Miami got Devonta Smith. Uh I would be willing to guess, given Carolina's presence of uh, Christian McCaffrey on their roster, Carolina will probably take Chris Evans and add from Michigan, and Miami will probably take Najee Harris. That's super exciting. Chance to get get a chance to work hands on with him. Uh, I will be in Mobile next week and, and hopefully get a chance to talk with some of these prospects. Uh, Najee being first and foremost amongst them. I know I've said that before, if not here on Draft Dudes, uh, the TDN podcast that I do with Joe Marino. Najee Harris might be my favorite prospect in this year's class, regardless of positional value or player rank or any of that, just caliber play on the field and the kind of person and individual that he is. I really think the Miami Dolphins are going to be drawn to him. I think he will be RB1 based on uh, the personnel trends that this team has embraced throughout the course of this rebuild. 
under Brian Flores and Chris Greer, which builds the perfect bridge to transition into looking at some of the the building blocks that the Dolphins have identified. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through uh, the Dolphins rookie class of 2020. We're going to revisit what decisions were made, uh, who was on the board when they made these picks, you know, any mulligans that uh, maybe the Dolphins would want back. I'm looking forward to kind of putting this all under the microscope because it's been a popular question. It's been something that uh, I have consistently seen put in power to the pot. Can you redraft, redraft the Dolphins 2020 draft class? Can you, you put it under the microscope? And I don't think this exercise is going to be as inflammatory as maybe some of the people asking or hope, like, no, we're not going to repick and pick Justin Herbert over to a tongue below, and we'll get into all the reasons why here in the, the next 20 minutes or so. Quick recap of the Dolphins 2020 draft class. Tua Tungvaloa, quarterback, Alabama, number five overall pick. Austin Jackson, offensive tackle, USC, number 18. Corner, Noah Igbenogany, number 30. Robert Hunt, 39. Raekwon Davis, 56, who, by the way, was just named to the Pro Football Writers of America uh, all-rookie team, Raekwon Davis. Safety, Brandon Jones, Offensive guard, Solomon Kinley, 111. Jason Strobridge, defensive end, 154. Curtis Weaver, 164. Blake Ferguson, 185. Malcolm Perry, 246. These are the draft picks for the Miami Dolphins. A grand total of 11, plus a trade uh, for Matt Breida as well. So a grand total of 12 players were brought in. And you can technically roll Limbone Jr., who was a top 100 pick for the Las Vegas Raiders, um, into this group and collection as well. So starting at the top, uh, obviously Tua goes five. The four players in front of him, Joe Burrow, Chase Young, Jeff Akuda, Andrew Thomas, Tua Tungabaloa. Uh, the good news is if you look at the top five picks and you do the cutoff at five, Tua's probably the third at worst best rookie season out of these top five picks thus far. Because uh, Andrew Thomas did not play well for the New York Giants. Jeff Akuda was abysmally bad for the Detroit Lions. So Tua, uh, statistically speaking, uh, it was a run-of-the-mill, nothing spectacular rookie season. Of course, if you watched the games like all of us listening to the show have, you know there were peaks, there were valleys, there were highs, there were lows, there were exciting points. Uh, there were the flashes of brilliance that you would come to expect, looking at the, the Cardinals game, looking at the second half of the Chiefs game, looking at some moments of uh, the, the Chargers game. Some really high-level flashes of play from Tua. And the analogy that you can make here is the, the Dolphins, you know, in an offense with a coordinator that in hindsight you could probably admit to, you know, maybe there was an anticipation the two was going to redshirt regardless. Uh, the Dolphins took an F1 driver and put him in a stock car and asked him to run a race, uh, which is, if you're not familiar with auto racing, uh, the way you would drive like an Indy car versus the way you would drive a NASCAR car, those are very different kind of sciences, right? And, and Tua is used to running this really uh, well oiled machine, guys breaking open, lots of separation, lots of space. Right, Fitzpatrick, it's a little bit more dirty, nitty-gritty, guys winning at the top of routes. you got to anticipate and throw guys open a little bit more. Tua balancing all of that with 
the team playing winning football and trying not to turn the ball over and make the same kind of mistakes that Ryan Fitzpatrick would make on a game-by-game basis. Uh, so I think there's a lot of context here that, no, no I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, the Dolphins needed to draft Justin Herbert. Because, yes, Justin Herbert has better physical tools than Tua Tagovailoa. But I could tell you right now, if the Dolphins drafted Justin Herbert, they would not play the style of offense that Justin Herbert is playing with the Chargers when they're down and they're trying to come back and rally and win all these games and put up all these air yards. You don't have to look any further than, say, the San Francisco game and the Jacksonville game when Ryan Fitzpatrick was the starter in the first Jets game. The Dolphins, uh, they have success and they create explosive plays Uh, And then they convert to, okay, we're going to vice you. We're going to force you into mistakes that give us short fields. We're going to squeeze you with the defense. We're not going to beat ourselves. We're not going to give you a spark to bring you back into the game. We're going to, you know, kind of exhaust our ability to run the football and try to run the football. Versus the Chargers constantly chasing games, right? They, They get up on teams early. Teams have these big surges back. Herbert's got to try and push him back into the game. Uh, the Dolphins game against the Chargers was a great example of that. So I genuinely believe if Justin Herbert would have been the pick, uh, you'd have some of the same frustrations because of the ideology of the team and the personnel that's at their disposal. Quarterbacks especially are weird, man. Like Josh Allen, if you had evaluated him after the the first year, Baker Mayfield would have been the cat's pajamas. Lamar Jackson would probably be where some people have apprehension with Tua right now because he looked good. He won games, but the way he won wasn't, you know, you knew it wasn't sustainable for them to just be that dependent on the run, and Lamar really couldn't complete passes with any level of consistency down the field. Sam Darnold was promising Josh Rosen was kind of the flop and and Josh Allen just looked like a dumpster fire and fast forward two more years later down the road and player development and surrounding your players with winning pieces around them Josh Allen has a legitimate case for MVP two years after being arguably the worst of the five first round quarterbacks so if they the Dolphins clearly had their reasonings for drafting to a tongue below and I don't think anything should change over the course of of the first 16 games that we've seen him on the roster, whatever that thought process was, whatever that ideology was, whatever that should look like in their heads for how they want to play the game, that's still on the table. There's no reason to doubt it. So no, not changing the pick at five. Two is still going to be the quarterback pick because that was the process and the result and the conclusion that they came to. You are one of a kind, and so are your taxes. That's why TurboTax Live has experienced tax experts who can get ready to listen to you Learn about your unique tax situation and help you get the best tax outcome this tax season. Maybe you're moonlighting as a rideshare driver and have questions about what qualifies as a deduction. Maybe you want an expert to walk you through the process since most of your income last year came from freelance jobs. Or maybe you'd like to hand the whole tax filing process off to an expert while you perfect your banana bread recipe. Whether you want to file with the help of an expert or let an expert do the filing for you, TurboTax Live experts are here to help giving you the confidence that your one-of-a-kind, uniquely you taxes are done right. Intuit TurboTax Live. This episode is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring, launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com.
Dolphins' next pick was Austin Jackson uh, at 18. And Austin Jackson played the most snaps of any Miami Dolphins rookie in 2020. 848 snaps for Austin Jackson. Um, Did not grade out particularly well. I think it was pretty apparent that some of his rawness as a technician uh, got the best of him as far as both run blocking and pass blocking. I can't say it's super surprising. You knew he was going to be a bit of a project when you brought him in. In hindsight, yeah, you look at what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers gave up to move up one spot to go get Tristan Wirfs at 13, and you ask yourself the question, you know, what would Miami have had to give up to get that done? And, uh, that's a tricky question because San Francisco picked Javon Kinlaw at 14, and there were teams, the Atlanta Falcons, the Dallas Cowboys, between 14 and 18, which is where San Francisco would have had to drop back to if they did accept a trade to get back there, uh, that San Francisco may not have gotten their guy if they moved back to 18. So that's not to say that the Dolphins – missed an opportunity because San Francisco might not have been willing to buzz back that far uh, in, to ensure that they could get Javon Kinlaw. But if you could, man, you'd probably really have liked to have swung a deal. What would it have cost to go up from 18 to 13? Tough question. You know, maybe that's pick 70 and you lose Brandon Jones. I don't know. But uh, with the Dolphins staying at 18, you start to ask yourself, okay, would they have been better served drafting Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver from LSU, who went at 22? Kayla Von Chason, the, the rush linebacker who went uh, at 20 to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cesar Ruiz, the center, who went to the New Orleans Saints at 24. Brandon Ayuk, who went at 25, one, spick, one spot in front of where Miami was scheduled to make their next pick. And that was rumored to be a gauntlet of Ruiz and Ayuk that really shook up the Dolphins as far as what their draft board looked like and what they were going to be able to accomplish. Uh, Once the Ayuk pick was made, Miami dropped. They dropped to 30, uh, bought themselves a little bit of extra time. They were reported to be really interested in drafting him, uh, and he had a really strong finish to the season for San Francisco. So, you know, you ask yourself, okay, Minnesota at 25 was open for business. Should Miami have been on the phones? Uh, Should Miami have been uh, aware of what was happening? That trade that happened, uh, San Francisco gave up a first for a first, fourth, and fifth to go up just a handful of spots from 31. They gave up 117 and 176 to go from 31 to 25. Now the Dolphins probably don't have to give all of that up, but you probably do have to give up a a four uh, to convince Minnesota to drop back just one spot and stock up a little bit. Uh, Either one of those two scenarios, either Jefferson at 18 or Ayuk at 25, 26, if you have to move, um, would have given you a little bit more help in the skill room. Uh, but the Dolphins also had other opportunities further down the board to invest in a wide receiver. Anyway, it just was not a point of emphasis. And we've kind of talked about this on the show where if this was the ideology, I don't hate not going after a wide receiver 
if you want to see what your quarterback plays like before you choose what style of receivers to go out and get them. Because what if they said, yeah, man, we got all these big physical guys. Uh, I, we want more of that. We want to really, really double down on that. Let's go get T. Higgins. And T. Higgins, who's 6'5", and not a great separator. He, he wins down the field, uh, but he's a big body guy. He doesn't really win on hard-angled stuff all that well. And he comes in, and you're trying to run these slant patterns and digs and ins, and he's not separating. And you really don't have the offensive line to do a bunch of drop back passing and push the ball 30 plus yards down the field. It's not really a good fit and chemistry wise versus what your quarterback's strengths are. So Justin Jefferson, I think would have been immune from a lot of that. Um, I would have been interested to see what would have happened if CD lamb was on the board at 18. Uh, he went off the pick before to Dallas, uh, Austin Jackson being the pick optimistic about the player development. What the ceiling is, is kind of up in the air. You know, I had Jackson uh, a little bit lower rated down as far as some concerns with just how raw he was. We saw a lot of that materialize, uh, but this coaching staff is, again, dialed in to player development. So if I were Chris Greer and we get into the teens, I'm calling San Francisco real hard about figuring out, are they willing to go to 18 and what does it cost? If it would cost 70, I'd probably have done it to get Tristan Wirfs. If it didn't cost 70, if it would have cost more because they felt they weren't going to get their guy, then I'm probably out. Um, and I probably would have been more willing to play the game to see, okay, is Austin Jackson still there at 26? and gotten, I had Jefferson rated much higher, uh, personally, in that process, but didn't really break that way. The silver lining for the Dolphins is that they didn't choose to do it this way, and then fall back on like Isaiah Wilson from Georgia as the backup plan at 26 at offensive tackle if they did draft a wide receiver, because uh, you'd get nothing out of that guy. He's been a train wreck for the Tennessee Titans, like a bunch of COVID violations and going out to parties and not social distancing and uh, just I, I'm kind of skeptical whether or not he's ever going to suit up for Tennessee. So uh, to have that poor of a return on investment for a pick at 29 uh, versus Austin Jackson, who you knew had some limitations coming in, it was kind of exactly what you expected to get. Not the worst outcome for the Dolphins. Noah Igbenogany. I think it's much too early to come up with any definitive statements about Igbenogany, who played close to 300 defensive or 300 snaps and was pretty up and down in the first month of the season. And that's to be expected. He's one of the youngest prospects in the draft pool. Uh, he only had two years of experience at corner. And I know the Dolphins fans' questions why the heck did you draft this guy? Um, Man, I, I, the more I think about this, the more anxious I get about Miami's corner situation. You're talking about guys off the Belichickian tree. And the Belichickian, quote-unquote, Patriot way is almost always, it's better to get rid of a guy a year too early than a year too late. And you have a guy like Xavier Howard, who's expected to demand to renegotiate or ask to renegotiate his contract, and he's well within his rights to do so. Are the Dolphins going to be willing to pay that price? 20 mil per season. 
for Xavier Howard. With the knee issues that he has coming off of a career year, 10 interceptions, he was incredible. I wouldn't mind spending the money. But I look at that selection, I look at the fact that they didn't groom him to play nickel, I look at the financial implications and the durability questions of Xavier Howard based on what his entire body of work as an NFL player is, and something doesn't quite smell right. I could be wrong, and the Dolphins may have uh, just pressed him in to take over for Byron Jones when he's hurt, and then they didn't want to start bouncing him around and exposing him to multiple roles within the defense. Maybe that's the case. But I, the longer we go, and, and, and seeing how year one worked out for Noah Igbenogany, knowing what we knew about the rest of the defensive back room, knowing that they didn't really move to play him at nickel, I just got my eye on this one. Feels like some potential for some potential foreshadowing. Again, not guaranteeing anything, but uh, definitely something to watch. And just keep in the back of your mind. But again, with how young he is, how inexperienced he was on the defensive side of the ball, you kind of knew he was going to be a project. Um, they kind of had to revert to plan B, presuming Brandon Ayuk, uh, who was reported to be one of the players they were interested in, kind of flew off the board right in front of him. Uh, you recoup an extra day three pick. You get a guy who can you had graded very highly as a developmental guy, another developmental guy. That's why I get confused with all the perception that, oh, the Dolphins went safe. None of the Dolphins' first three picks in the 2020 NFL Draft were safe selections. If you wanted to go safe, you would have picked the quarterback who didn't have the hip issue. If you wanted to go safe, you would have picked Cesar Ruiz, who is much more of a plug-and-play, much higher floor player than Austin Jackson, at a less valuable position. And you wouldn't have picked Noah Igbenogany. Maybe you would have picked... Antoine Winfield Jr. If you wanted a corner, maybe you would have picked Jeff Gladney. Maybe you could have picked one of these wide receivers or DeAndre Swift. If you wanted to go safe, that's the safe route. So I always I, I see that sentiment on social that that Chris Greer is overly conservative and needs to get more aggressive with his draft picks. Man, like I thought they were pretty bold with what they did in the first round of 2021. And all the pieces of the puzzle fit, and theoretically they make sense. And that's why I'm not pushing the panic button or the ejection button on any of those selections. The NFL playoffs are here, and while the Dolphins are not qualified, it does not mean you cannot still be a winner this winter. There's only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust for all of your online sports bets, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Round two players. Uh, I think this, this is probably the money round for the Dolphins. And I think if you look at Chris Greer's track record in general, uh, the second round is generally an area in which the Dolphins have success. Uh, under Chris Greer. Chris Greer took over in 2016 was his first season. Uh, his pick that year was Xavier Howard. His 2017 second-round selection was Raekwon McMillan, uh, who obviously had the injury his first season and then had some bright flashes as a between-the-tackles filler, kind of a scheme-specific fit. 
The scheme obviously changed in 2019. He became much more marginalized, goes to the Raiders, and, and effectively doesn't play at all. What he does play, the Dolphins abused him in coverage. Uh, 2018 second-round pick, Mike Gusecki. 2019, of course, they had the trade back. Uh, they traded back with New Orleans and then sent that one pick to Arizona for Josh Rosen along with some change. But the way I like to look at that investment in the second round was they came into the 2020 or 2019 NFL draft with two second round picks, one in 2019, one in 2020. They left the 2019 NFL draft still having two second round picks. They were just both in 2020. You financed it for a year, and in your turn, you got the low risk roll the dice on Josh Rosen. Those two picks, uh, the, the pick from the Saints ended up being Raquan Davis, who was named to the Pro Football Writers of America all-rookie team uh, just this week. And their pick at 39, Robert Hunt, was their best offensive lineman. Oh, the guard, tackle, whatever. Uh, dude kicks ass in the run game, period. He is a mauler. And that's the kind of dude I want to see the Dolphins fall in line behind in the run game and really use him as a road grader uh, as advertised. And I get he didn't start at first this season, but that was more of a byproduct of Solomon Kinley claiming the right guard job. Robert Hunt, absolutely worth the price at 39. Raquan Davis, absolutely worth the price at 56. Do you wish they'd have gone and got Jonathan Taylor? Do you wish they would have got Cam Akers or J.K. Dobbins? Again, I think it comes back to positional value, right? An offensive tackle and an interior defensive lineman, those positions are harder to fill than finding a competent running back. As point in case, the Dolphins' best running backs in 2019, and they were serviceable backs, was a seventh-round pick in Miles Gaskin from 2019, and a running back they picked up off of waivers in Savan Ahmed uh, from San Francisco. So... I get you look at the 1,100 rushing yards from Jonathan Taylor and how dominant he was down the stretch. Uh, but again, remember the line that he's running behind. First of all, he had fumble issues early in the season. He was slow to get started. And he came on strong in the back half of the year. But he's running behind an offensive line that had just absolute bruisers up front. And the Dolphins are getting there. But they had to make these investments, which they did in 2020 to get there. So I'm not changing anything in the second round. I understand the pro thought process of everything in the first round. Well, I don't know how hard the Dolphins worked the lines, as I said, at 18 to go up. And I would have been willing to give up 70 if it meant I get Tristan Wirfs, but that's not to say San Francisco would have been a willing dance partner. Speaking of 70, uh, the Dolphins at that pick land Brandon Jones, who I think you also have to be very happy with uh, and glad to have. This was a good stretch of play for the, uh, the this draft class. Uh, you see some of the players who went in this range, Brandon Jones, uh, immediately afterwards, you had Michael Ojemudia, a corner from Denver, who had a really nice season, Lynn Bowden Jr., who showed some nice flashes for the Dolphins as part of that Raekwon uh, McMillan swap. Zach Moss running back from Buffalo, you know, maybe he could have been in consideration as, as the heavy hitter running back. But that would have felt just like, okay, we have to get a running back. You know who else did that? Tampa Bay. When they at 76 drafted Keyshawn Vaughn, which was a brutal pick. Go find Keyshawn Vaughn in the NFC Championship game this weekend. You can't because he had no business being the pick at 76. They panicked because their preferred choice, Antonio Gibson, went off the board 
six picks earlier. Looking at the rest of the class for the Dolphins. Uh, I'm happy with Brandon Jones. I'm happy with Solomon Kinley. Uh, I don't mind the price that it costs to for us to go up and move to the top of round four to secure Solomon Kinley. Excited about having him. Uh, Strobridge book is out on. Curtis Weaver, big-time flop. Blake Ferguson, long snapper. Hopefully he's here for 10, 15 years, and we never have to worry about long snapper ever again. Malcolm Perry, exciting young player. So, Obviously, the meat and potatoes of this conversation takes place on days one and two. Those are kind of your money picks. Those are the picks you're expecting to get difference makers from. Uh, and the Dolphins, generally speaking, yes, you you can sit here and play the game and start a la carding players that went to different situations and point to and say, wow, that's a better end result than what the Dolphins got. They should have done that. But you have to ask yourself, how would that player do in this Dolphins infrastructure knowing what you know about the limitations the Dolphins' offense had. Because again, this isn't an indictment of Chris Greer. They tore the roster down on purpose. And it was to start from scratch to have optimal flexibility. And they said, our point of emphasis in 2020, we want our quarterback, we want to build up the trenches, and we're going to address defense, and we're going to see if we can be a competitive football team. And they were. They won 10 games. Now, the next step, They evaluate the roster again. They say, this worked, this didn't. We're a little anxious about Austin Jackson. So yeah, we are going to draft Penny Sewell. Or hey, we really think we're a couple wide receivers away. Two of our first three picks are going to be wide receivers and we'll take Najee Harris at 18. Time will tell. But uh, I think the the first season for the Dolphins uh, with their rookie class you got 848 snaps from Austin Jackson. You got 748 snaps from Solomon McKinley. You got 722 snaps from Robert Hunt. 571 from Tua Tagovailoa. 336 from Lynn Bowden Jr. 205 from Savannah Ahmed. 156 from Malcolm Perry. That's your rookie class offensively. You have that number of significant contributors. And you have an offense that needs to be better on third down, needs to be better in the red zone, needs to be better on the backside of run plays needs to get better chemistry and better separation, a quarterback who needs to execute it better. But at the end of the day, the Dolphins were a middle-of-the-road offense in the grand scheme of the NFL, and that's because of the low-ass bar the Dolphins have set offensively for 20 years. It's one of the better-performing offensive units that we have seen this Dolphins franchise have in 20 years with that level of rookie contributions. I'm not mad about it. I'm really not. I'm actually quite excited about it. What does an offense of all these guys together look like? What new pieces can be added to it as both veterans and free agents and the NFL draft? I'm excited to see what the next evolution looks like. Of course, we're still waiting, sitting on our hands here, waiting for an offensive coordinator. I'm convinced at this point it's either Godsey or Studsville, and we'll uh, we'll react when that news drops. Perhaps it drops today. I'm still trying to give us the jinx and get that to get put in motion. Hope you guys enjoyed. Locked on Dolphins, Kyle Krabs, hit subscribe. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Your team every day. We got two more shows this week. Come on back, see us again tomorrow.